Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley. Colin McDonald with you. 1380 KLIZ, the fan. Find us on Facebook at Lakes, Woods, and Irons, and also uh, wherever your podcasts are sold. Uh, that, in part, uh, thanks to uh, Mills Ford Superstore, our uh, hometown dealer since 1922, and also Maury's, where you can always eat more fish. Uh, stop by Maury's, great lobster rolls, fish tacos, lots more than that going on at Maury's in Motley and Brainerd. Chris, uh, another week in the books as the year goes by way too fast for golf fans in this part of the country, but we got some uh, great golf left, another month at least, maybe another six weeks of some of the best golf of the year. Oh, the, this is the time of the year in the Brainerd Lakes area. Well, any time in the summer is great, but, uh, you know, it, uh, from about September 1st to middle of October is actually the, the best time to play here. Beautiful beautiful mornings and clear crisp skies and leaves are starting to change so it's all it's all good stuff we did uh, we talked last week about um, me coming out for a fitting with you and uh and uh, the clubs came in the clubs came in uh today so or yesterday and i'm gonna give them their maiden voyage today so pretty excited to see if it uh, uh how i hit the new irons that'll be fun yeah i think you're really gonna like them and it's uh yeah, you, you had that other set of clubs for so long. It's uh, it's a it's a nice upgrade for you. Yeah, the shot dispersion looked a lot better, and the distance was what eight to nine yards further, something like that, on a yeah, about, about a club about a club longer. Yeah, so it's like I went back ten years in age, Chris. That's what that's the way <laughs> that's I right. that's the way I want to look at it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun, and I do again. I know I did last week too, but really recommend the process. It's uh. It's interesting and easy to do and uh, should be a big help to your game. So uh, definitely give it a try. Uh, Bryson's getting criticized a little bit, Chris, this week because he's, he's, he's doing this long drive contest with, with, the, with the longest drivers in the world. And, uh, you know, they want him because talk about TV ratings for the first time for that event or the biggest ratings for that event ever with Bryson in there. But, of course, critics, oh, yeah. you know, should he be doing this just before Ryder Cup. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why he wouldn't be doing it. I mean, he's, he's uh, you know, everybody has their way to prep, and, and for, probably it's not too much different than than uh, than Bryson does on a weekly basis, you know, uh, any off week in, in uh, for him for golf. But, uh, no, it'll be, uh, it'll be very interesting to see how he does against, uh, you know, the, these long, long, they're apps. They're they're freaks of nature, really. And um, Bryce, it will be interesting to see where Bryson hits it in comparison to them. He he, uh, you know, when you look at the his, his, kind of his stats, his his driver's clubhead speed and his ball speed, and he's going to be on the low end of what typically is uh, is there for the long drivers. And um, but he's been, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks he's been training pretty hard for the long drive competition. So it'll be it'll be fascinating to see how he how he does. And yeah. it, it's it's going to bring a lot of attention to the long drive. Oh, sure it is. And he he's a magnet for attention. And like you're saying, his his training. I mean, the guy increased his club head speed and his and his muscle strength uh, extraordinarily. And then uh, I mean he. He swings out of his shoes every day of his life. Why is this going to be any different? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> he 
He did though. I thought he looked a little lighter at the end of the at the end of the season. Uh, less uh, concentration on weightlifting or whatever he does. At least that's just uh, an observation. But I, I I thought he he looked like he'd lost a little muscle mass. Yeah. No. I think he's. Uh, I, I I think it's about 15 pounds down from where he was at. Uh, you know, back in March, April, and uh, you know, kind of during the lockdown time, he. Uh, actually put on 40 pounds yeah which is uh, <laughs> that's a lot that's a lot of weight whether it's muscle or uh, or other and um, so he, he he looks much more he looks a lot healthier now yeah I uh, thought so too yeah he kind of looked like uh, Bill Bill Bixby on the old Hulk show there for <laughs> yeah. that after yeah, that first exactly. season <laughs> he, uh, he looks like a golfer again and not like a lineman. Uh, Will Zalatoris wins a Rookie of the Year, kind of. I think he's the first one ever without uh, tour full tour status to win Rookie of the Year because he kind of uh, took the tour by storm there early in the year in particular. Well, he had such a good Masters. And, um, you know, as a non-tour member, he was allowed, uh, I, I, I think, 10 sponsors exemptions. Uh, which everybody won to play. And, uh, you know, the, the, the events that he played in, he had, a, he had a bunch of good top 10 finishes and uh, I think pr- pretty easy choice for Rookie of the Year. Yeah, yeah. Not as easy a choice for Player of the Year, but uh, Patrick uh, Patrick Cantlay with his uh, strong finish wins Player of the Year. A lot of people in the John Rom camp uh, for that award. You know, Cantlay certainly had a great year and, and a great FedEx Cup, but, uh, boy, I, ha- I have a hard time not... Uh, I think if if they gave me a vote, which they didn't, Mac, uh, I would I would have chosen Rom um, based on his you know his performance in the in the majors. He wins one, he finished second in one, and the other two top tens. And uh, you know, Woody he won twice and and really should have won at Memorial uh, when he when he tested positive for COVID, four or five shot lead going in the last round and was just blown away the field and uh it's hard hard not to to vote for him Cantley obviously had a great end of the season so fresh in the, in the players minds but uh, interesting with the with the pga tour um they really don't they never reveal the vote so you never there's always some controversy in that uh player of the year when when mcroy won uh two years ago and uh, you wonder if the P, the PGA Tour gives it to the the player they wanted to give it to rather than who actually voted. <laughs> you always like a little controversy. I guess it's good for the game. But yeah, the Memorial. You're right about that. I think Rom was up. He might even been up six shots. Yeah. And uh, Cantlay ended up winning that. So that's one less win for Cantlay and one more win for Rom. Right. If, if that tournament plays out. So then uh, that's probably the toss of a coin there. That's that's where Rom probably would have wanted if. The, if the memorial would have been included in his season record, go ahead. He went. He wins there, and you wonder, you know, the the momentum that gave Cantlay. You wonder how things would have been different the rest of the season. So yeah, you, you, just, you never know. Yeah. Special guest coming up, Chris. Yeah, we've got Luke Benoit, who is the director of instruction at Interlocking Country Club, and uh, I should say, Doctor Luke Benoit is a biomechanist and. Um, Really, an expert in speed, creating speed in the golf swing. So we're looking forward to talking to him. A doctor, so he's smarter than both of us combined, Chris. 
Well, that that uh, <laughs> on my side of the coin, that doesn't that that's not very hard, Mac. <laughs> You're listening to Lakes Woods and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes Woods and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald, with you. 1380 KLIZ, the fan. You can find us on Facebook at Lakes Woods and Irons, and also podcast and podcast one lakes woods and irons can go looking for us there as well this segment will feature chris's interview with dr luke benoit we're all looking for some swing speed and dr benoit can help us out want to welcome to the show dr luke benoit luke is the uh, director of instruction at interlock and country club in edina and uh, we're going to talk about a little speed today welcome to the show luke Thanks, Chris. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. I've wanted to have you on all summer, and we just haven't had, uh, our schedules haven't meshed. But, uh, Luke, uh, before we get started talking about speed, give us, uh, tell us about your background. Sure. Yeah. Um, started golf when I was 13, played a ton as a kid, uh, played at Gustavus and a couple years on the mini tours, and then started teaching. I always knew teaching was where I wanted to spend my time. And, um, always been interested kind of in the academic pursuit of it too so I did a degree in motor learning uh, some biomechanics there and just really wanted to know what was going on with how people learn fast um, and I just I just love coaching players good players bad players everybody in between um, that process has been fun and lately started to specialize a little bit more in full swing mechanics and speed and that's just kind of the genesis of uh, of Ripstick, and uh, we've had some some cool opportunities to work with some really good players, uh, and uh, develop some kind of interesting things that are kind of new to the industry a little bit. I know there's a, it's hard to improve, but I think we got some stuff that's kind of cool. Yeah, um, we got a research team, and it's been really fun. What, Luke, what what is what is a doctor of biomechanics for those who aren't familiar with that term? Yeah, I mean, it's really how you're how you're moving your body and your joints and your muscles, all that stuff to create movement and then um, efficiency of that movement. So we look uh, in golf, we talk a lot about kinematic sequence and, and firing the right uh, order. So it really starts from the ground often, and then you see pelvis and then shoulders, uh, rib cage, and then kind of arms, hands, and club. And if you get the right sequence, that's how you see little guys that maybe don't look that strong can hit it really far. Um, so understanding that was just really important to me. And that's what tour players do so well. And a lot of us amateurs do not, right. It's just hard to create speed efficiently. And that's what the ripstick ideally does. Um, but that's what I'm really interested in. How can we make golf easier on your body, hit the ball far without effort. That's, that's the point. Sure. And we'll, we'll get into more of the ripstick here. Uh, but what, you know, the, the last 10 years, I, I think there, there's been a much greater emphasis on speed in the game than, than ever before. And, and really in the last year, that's ramped up significantly with, uh, especially with, with Bryson DeChambeau. And, um, you know, I, I think it's the, we can all get faster, I I think. And how do we, uh, how do we go about that, Luke? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's no doubt it correlates high with scoring. Um, you know, and I grew up as a reasonably long hitter with poor accuracy, so I developed all those kind of skills to score, get it around trees, curve it both ways, you know, get a good wedge game. And that's how I think you see a lot of tour players develop. They maybe not aren't that straight, but they hit it a mile, and then they kind of learn the scoring along the way out of necessity. And um, so how do you gain speed? Well, there's certainly the, the idea of speed windows. If you're a kid, 
have a much better chance to gain speed. Um, you know, I, I do a lot with kids just developing speed at a young age. And the, the idea is you've got to be able to throw a ball hard, you've got to be able to run fast, you've got to be able to jump well. And if you can do those, we can definitely create speed. And with adults and even kids now, we do testing. We've got a calculator on our website that uh, we're putting up here that where you can actually input how far you can throw an eight-pound medicine ball. And if you can throw an eight-pound medicine ball with a chest pass 20 feet, um, we see something around a 75% correlation with your distance. And then we have a couple other tests. We do an overhead medicine ball toss, we do a vertical jump, and we do hand strength. And those together, we can predict 90% of your kind of speed capacity. So speed is very much related to strength. And anybody that says that you don't need to be strong to play golf, well, the testing shows you do, but then do you use that speed? So within that uh, is a wide range of people that maybe have mobility concerns. They don't actually move, you know, certain body parts properly, or they can't disassociate. Which I know you're you're teaching a ton of golf, Chris. Mm-hmm. To good players, like you see, good players disassociate, which means their hips lead the downswing really well, and they gather force from the ground well. So those are some things that we can teach adults, uh, and that's really what we put our effort into, and and. Um, you know, try to get people to pick up speed. And it's not a one-size-fit-all. I think that's one thing to begin with. And we don't really want to add speed um, in a direction that's going to make you hit it crooked too, right? So if you have major swing flaws, we try to correct those before we start adding speed because hitting it further in the woods doesn't make you score better. Um, But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of ways to do it, different ways to train, um, and that's uh, really what we're devoted to. Luke, where where does speed come from? I, I think there's a there's a big difference between swinging hard and swinging fast, and I think people get the you know a lot of people try to swing harder rather than swinging faster. Yeah, yeah. Most amateurs, when you tell them to swing hard, uh, some do actually gain a bunch of speed, but a lot of them don't, and it's because they're tending to use. The, the muscles of the arms and hands first, they cast it, right? Um, they might get over the top, might turn the shoulders too early. And so if you have a proper sequence where you're able to have your arms and hands pretty passive as you start down, create some lag coming into the golf ball, uh, and then it releases a little later on, that's where it's just more efficient. Now, everybody's different, and, and Bryson's such a great example of a guy. He's got the horsepower to create great speed, um, and with his irons, he's really uh, kind of reducing some angles. We call it, um, you know, degrees of freedom. Like he's not trying to use his wrist very much when he hits an iron. If you watch how he hits a wedge or even a seven iron, there's not a whole lot of angle created with his wrist. So he's using a wrist position of like ulnar deviation, which means trying to keep his wrist uncocked. And he's also playing with flexion and a, and a flat left wrist. So he's found mechanical advantages to hit it straighter. Now, for most amateurs, that's going to be a disaster because they don't have the horsepower to play with it. But that's the difference of how you create speed for a tour player who already has an engine you know, in their body that's really powerful. Whereas an average amateur, we probably need to use the wrist more and leverage that easy, easy power of getting the wrist cocked and released a little bit more to create more speed. So everybody's different, and I think that's the important thing to note about it. But um, at the same time, what we found is if you use the the ripstick or any speed training tool, it doesn't really matter. If you use it properly, swinging uh, lighter weight, heavier weight, and regular weight, uh, you can pick up speed, and your body will find speed in a fairly efficient way a lot of times. So swings generally just get better with the right training. Uh, not always. Sometimes we have to correct some swing flaws, as I mentioned, but 
Um, they tend to get faster. They tend to get more lag as you do speed training. Yeah, yeah you, you don't want to uh, increase speed at the sacrifice of hitting it in the center of the club face. Correct. Yes, and that's, I think, a big thing is um, there's a little bit of when do you do this, and uh, our recommendation is like fall and, and winter is a really good time to learn how to swing faster. You move that whole baseline up, and you learn how to hit it solid, but uh, you know, do you want to go put that speed out on the course and hit it on the toe and the heel and miss hit it all the time? No. you got to be able to hit the middle of the face. Um, but training for speed is great because you can get faster, and then you hopefully can play at a speed on the golf course that still lets you have some control of the golf ball. Absolutely. Solid. Yeah. Luke, you, you mentioned the kinematic sequence and starting the, the downswing with the, with, the, with the lower body and the hips. And one, especially when I, when I was playing more, and then early in my career as a teacher, I, I was confused by that and whether that, you know, starting with the hips, if that means rotation or more a lateral move of the hips, and what uh, what what's your opinion on that, and and is, does it depend on the player? Yeah, I think it really depends. I think there's there's some evidence that um, I would say right now things are moving towards people really want to rotate. You see Gankus and how people are moving that left hip and clearing, and I've got a lot of junior golfers that'll come to me, good players at age twelve, and they're like literally jumping with their left foot backwards so they're not even on the ground at impact and now this is okay 20 years ago i'm sure when you were growing up chris and i was growing up like people said keep your feet on the ground right right well that's really different today um and i think so yes you can really push off that lead foot and twist hard but if you go back to the old timers some of the greatest players i mean let's start with tom layman you know minnesota's golf legend he was a slider he didn't really push super hard off the front foot he rotated his hips you know, reasonably well, but he wasn't using the ground force of a Bubba Watson or a Lexi Thompson. He wasn't a jumper. Um, so I think it's good to classify people as, you know, are you going to be a slider, somebody that goes more towards the target? They usually play with a closed face, hit the ball lower, um, control the face really well, but don't have great speed. And then you might have somebody like a jumper, which would be the exact opposite, somebody like Bubba Watson or Lexi Thompson that's just exploding off the ground. You're seeing more and more of that for power. Long drive is pretty much all that, right? They really jump and they flip their hands. And I would say that's not as accurate of a way to play, but um, it creates great speed, and those people tend to hit the ball really high and far um, and great attack angles, so it's efficient from a driver perspective. And then in the middle is probably your average maybe tour tour pros uh, player where they might have some lateral and slide toward, toward the target a little bit with their hips. Most of them do move their hips kind of we call it a linear trace the front foot and then they go ahead and twist their hips pretty hard and that's more of kind of a, a twisting motion or a rotational swing that it tends to be what we'd probably assume is the best combination of accuracy and pretty good power um but again uh you know you go back where would you classify hogan i, I mean what do you think chris he was kind of a slider he also twisted pretty hard right yeah so, for sure and then you go look at Mo Norman, who talked a lot about um, just basically sliding the target. He didn't really want to twist his hips. So there are different ways to do it. And what we found is as long as we don't have major swing flaws, you can find power your way. And and as long as your low point's good and um, you're able to hit the ball in the middle of the face, we don't care if you jump, if you slide, if you rotate. We might have some you know preferences for different people, but there's no right way. Otherwise, we wouldn't see the top 
top 30, 40 players in the world have some big differences in how they keep power. So I think that's an important thing to remember is speed is speed and speed is helpful. Just avoid the major swing flaws. You know, it's interesting. You get a guy like Justin Thomas who um, you're talking about moving linearly. Uh, His iron swing is very uh, linear. But then if you look at his driver swing, I mean, he's got, he's off the ground at impact, like you're talking about. So um, I don't know if the average player can do that because they don't practice enough, but he, I think he's got a combination of both. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, your point about like center strike, like if you grow up and you're hitting a ton of balls and you're a top junior and you're jumping off the ground, I don't know if you need to change it but we're not probably going to throw that at a 40-year-old, 50-year-old guy that's never jumped before. For sure. So, but, yeah, you can have different swings in different parts of the bag, and I think that's really the, the art of constructing a game is, yes, we need to hammer the driver and you need to have good contact, but you don't have to hit every fairway. And, you know, driver accuracy is one of the, the, the most misleading predictors of success in the game, isn't it? Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, hitting it. I tell my kids, don't hit houses, don't hit, hit it in the water, don't hit people. And if you can have a second shot, I don't care if you miss some fairways; it's fine. So yeah, yeah. It, it's it's not about hitting fairways; it's about avoiding errors off the tee. Right. And right. you know, it's being able to advance your second shot. And you know, if you're strong, hitting out of out of the rough does does not make much of a difference. Uh, right. Yeah. Your accuracy out of the fairway is going to be better, but uh, I, I'd much rather hit a wedge out of the rough than a seven iron out of the fairway. Totally. So you're listening to Chris's interview with Dr. Luke Benoit, the creator, inventor of Ripstick. We'll be back with more. You're listening to Lakes, Woods and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you. You're listening to our interview with Dr. Luke Benoit with the Ripstick and, uh, you can find us on Lakes, Woods, and Irons Facebook page and Lakes, Woods, and Irons, uh, wherever your podcasts are sold as well. That thanks to our sponsors, the On Point Burger Company at Ernie's. Put them on your list. And also by Emily Green's, where golf is all about fun. Now back to that interview with Chris. Well, Luke, you know, you, you've, you've developed a great tool for training speed called the Ripstick. And, and tell us about that. Yeah, the idea was uh, just to create a better mousetrap because I was, um, you know, I've always been interested in coaching junior golfers and creating speed for people. And so I I, um, started selling a lot of super speed sticks, which is a great product. It's three Mm -hmm. sticks and the science goes back to the world of track. And now, I mean, you're seeing it in baseball and lots of other sports too, but if you swing something light, it teaches your body to go faster. So you're automatically going to get more hip speed, hand speed, everything. Uh, as long as we stay within about 20% of what the regular weight is, it doesn't generally screw up your sequence too much. Uh, so you swing lighter, and then you swing something heavier, which basically provides um, more resistance. And it's not exactly weight training, but it's more power training, and you get stronger from doing that. And so we find there's some advantages to doing both. And so we uh, just jumped on the piggyback of overspeed, overweight training, and created a stick, one stick that you carry versus three. And instantly, people are like, duh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so we, we launched it. It really was a pandemic launch, to be honest. It's, it's when I had a little time where I was shut down where we launched it. And now we have, I think, our players that are using it or um, have one in the bag at some level, uh, 18 major championships, and then uh, over 60 tour players are using it. 
and that includes thinking three of the top ten in the world right now. And we've even had like tour guys like order it right off our website because um, they don't really want to, you know, pay an endorsement fee or anything. But they just order it right off our website. These are guys that are top twenty in the world. So we know that the concept is like slowly coming through to the masses. But if you think about like if your goal is to be really good at golf, well, yes, you got to chip putt, you got to do your range time. But we ask, you know, fifteen minutes three days a week. And you're going to pick up usually 15 to 20 miles per hour in six months, even three months. And once you get used to it, you can maintain that and continue to climb and gain a little more. So in terms of working out, it's probably more productive than working out, although we always recommend working out to stay uh, strong and stable. But the, the science is basically, A, get yourself strong, uh, and B, train for speed, and you're going to hit, learn to hit, hit it really hard. So those are kind of the... The, the foundation of what we do and um, then we kind of customize programs anybody that buys a ripstick will give a, a free swing analysis really work towards helping them on their on their journey to hit the ball farther and straighter we don't really want you to hit it a mile in the woods that's never the goal so sure so yeah. so 15 minutes three times a week do you um do you suggest doing this at the golf course prior to practicing do you do it at home does it matter and uh, what kind of give me a protocol of using it? Yeah, yeah. You know, we're still trying to identify a little bit about the best timing to use it, but we know you want to be loose first. You got to get your body warm, so a five-minute warm-up is good. Um, but there's probably some merit to saying you should uh, mix it up and see what you like. Um, but but um, I would generally say like you want to you want to do it early in your workout typically. You could do some sort of explosive power workout first and then get into your ripstick speed training. But generally, I would say don't do it after a round of golf when you're tired. Um, do it on an off day. You can do it at the range. You can do it at home. You've got a shorter version if you want to do some training, uh, you know, in your house. Um, but generally, like, uh, just got to be loose, and the timing doesn't matter that much. So just get after it. And I know on, on your website you have kind of a, a protocol of different exercises you do, correct? Yeah, yeah. And, and so we kind of have a generic plan for people. And then we also have um, different plans for different swing faults because, as you know, Chris, like when you get somebody with a big swing fault that they've been fighting for a while, they really need to change a motor pattern. And so we have some big exaggeration drills to force the body uh, into better spots to get the club to do what it wants. So I haven't yet seen a single person like that does our slice protocol that doesn't start hooking it. You know, it's going to, we're going to, we're going to go the opposite direction of whatever you're doing and you're going to develop some speed in the right direction. Um, because the body will tend to go to the weakest link or the, the swing's going to develop around the weakest link, you know, so you've got to fight that tendency pretty hard for a while. Uh, and then you can go through it, but our, our protocols last a month. You're doing every workout about you know 12 times or something like that, uh, and then you move on to uh, another protocol. It's a little more challenging, and um, and again we'll do some custom work with you guys too if you want to. If anybody wants some custom work, we have a lot of long drivers. I would say right now we've got at least three of the top six or seven long drive people in the world we're working with um, that are you know it, it's honestly it's bi-directional. Like we're we're giving giving them some information, but we're getting better at training. Uh, by learning from them as well uh, about how they train and what they do, um, yeah. and that includes working out and everything, you know, diet, everything. That that that's a whole different different uh, genre in itself is the the way the long drive guys train. It is. It's not the same sport, is it? No. 
you know, look, you, you mentioned um, uh, how, you know, your, your slice protocol. And about seven, eight, nine years ago, one winter, we did, we did a bunch of testing with the rip stick. I mean, with the, uh, with the speed sticks. And, um, you know, we, we had several of our juniors, including my son, Joe, who you know well, who yeah. pick, picked up anywhere from 10 to 15 miles an hour of clubhead speed over the winter, which I'd never experienced anything like that. You know, and, yeah. you, know, and at, you know, when you one mile an hour clubhead speed is worth about two to two and a half yards on the driver. Right. So the, the thing I noticed that was the benefit as much as the speed was um, most of the players we tested if they did it on a regular basis the shape of their swing became much more of an on-plane type of motion and they didn't have nearly as many angles in their swing because of the way they were swinging the speed sticks and it, it, it forced you know you're swinging it up above the ground um, you're swinging more rounded and it really it enhanced their golf swings as well and like you were saying it it eliminated a lot of fades and slices uh can you speak to that yeah i mean the club having a momentum at the target uh it's just easier to keep it on plane when you're actually swinging a little bit harder you know so it's it's crazy how efficiency actually comes now the trend we see is the harder you swing the more you need to close the face so, you know, often people do the routine and they might hit a little right, but if you work a little bit with a golf pro or you know how to get the club face closed with a stronger grip or some flexion of the wrist, like, you're going to be able to hit the ball probably straighter. And that's what the stats indicate on tour, the people that hit it longer are actually straighter by percentage. They might not hit as many fairways because they're missing by 3%, not in the fairway. But, yeah, speed is generally going to produce pretty good accuracy too. And yeah. you work with your coach to monitor that for right. sure. Right. Do, do, do you think, Luke, that some people are just naturally gifted with speed? You know, like so, some people naturally run faster than others. Oh, yeah. And... I mean, there's no doubt about it. Some people are taller, some people are shorter, some people are just, you know, tend to be faster. I mean, yeah. if you have West African genes, you're probably going to be a little faster. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, there's something to it. But, you know, do, you using your protocol, do you feel like anybody can pick up speed? Yeah, I mean, I haven't had... Um, anybody that's really honestly done that training for six weeks for the first time and hasn't picked up at least 10 yards not a single person's come to me and say hey that didn't work so i know it works there is um diminishing marginal utility to it right if you do it for four years i can't guarantee you're going to pick up another you know 50 to 100 yards right? right yeah you will continue to gain speed and then at a certain point it's just very marginal gains but it's really really awesome once you get about six weeks in you'll notice it yeah, it, I I've seen the same thing with uh, with the rip stick with my students as well as speed sticks and um, but the, the 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 beauty of the rip stick, like you said, you've got one club or one one tool that with interchangeable weights and uh, it's a great product. So I appreciate it, Luke. Where uh, if if somebody wants to to learn more about the rip stick and purchase one, where where can they do that? Yeah, just head to our website ripstick.com and. Um... Again, you can send us a video of your swing. We're always happy to do a quick swing of Al and say, we kind of look at where can you add power, where can you maybe look at accuracy too. And, and then, um, you know, that's free of charge. 
and and Luke, that's that's spelled R R Y P, right? Yes, R Y P. Yeah, good point. Ripstick with a Y. Awesome. Well, Luke, I really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, and sharing your knowledge. And uh, right now is a perfect time as we kind of get to the end of the season where you should be thinking about your winter training and uh, uh, coming out in the spring, hitting it uh, long and straight. Absolutely. Uh, it's a really good time to get into it and good gift for Christmas for folks that want to pick up speed or add, add some yards for the, for the new year. So thanks so much, Chris. I appreciate it. Thank you, Luke. That was Dr. Luke Benoit, inventor of the Ripstick and uh, director of instruction at Interlocking Country Club in Edina, Minnesota. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, the fan on Facebook at Lakes, Woods, and Irons. And also podcast and podcast one, Lakes, Woods, and Irons as well. Brought your way in part by Ernie's on Gull, On Point Burger Company, a great addition to Ernie's, locally owned and globally loved. Chris, uh, another great guest. Uh, uh, we've had a couple over the years on this on the uh, speed technique, so that's always interesting, I think. Well, it's definitely the, uh, you know, it, it's kind of the hottest topic in golf right now. And, uh, you know, how do you hit it further? How do you pick up more speed? And definitely on tour and, uh, you know, definitely among junior golfers. And, you know, any, anything we can do to to increase speed but without sacrificing uh, hitting the ball on the side of the club face is a good thing because your distance really determines your potential. And uh, the, the farther you can hit it, the, the more potential you have to shoot lower scores. Yeah, the closer you are, the better chance you have of regulating those greens we talk about to lower those scores. Yeah, exactly. You had a funny uh, story off mic there before we started, Chris. I, we just fitted uh, myself with you, or we uh, had a fitting, I should say, and I went five iron through uh, through wedge and a gap wedge in there as well. And uh, you had kind of a had a fun story. And I, actually, it's funny because I kind of thought the same thing. Do I have a club with uh, not much loft on it? Uh, in my uh, selections here, so <laughs> you you got to uh, do, do you need to include the punch out club when you're getting fitted, Chris? <laughs> right, you know it, it, it comes up uh, uh, not in a lot of fittings, but I it, it's come up a couple of fittings recently, and it is is kind of a regular occurrence. And you know, as you're you know, the nice thing about getting custom fit, you can get as many or as few clubs as you want. You're not confined to you know, a certain number of clubs in a set. And, you know, so many times today people, you know, you, you want them to get clubs that they, they can effectively hit. And, um, you know, so at the, at the low range of the clubs, where do you start with a, you know, a three iron, a four iron, a five iron, a six iron? What, what club can you still effectively hit the, the distance that it has to go? And today, because lofts are stronger and, and hybrids are more prevalent or high lofted fairway woods that so many people, you know, start with, let's say a five or a six iron. And uh, an interesting comment I always get is, why well, I, I, you know, let's start with the fives, but you know, I, I think I'm going to get a four iron because that's the club I used to punch out of the woods with. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I always get a kick out of that. And sometimes, you know, they'll order that club and sometimes they won't, but, uh, you know, if you, if you need a club to punch out of the woods, how many times around do you use that? And uh, how many, how much more effective would you be adding another club that would, you know, enhance your game? 
how about just learning to hit that five iron a little lower and punch it out of the woods than than adding a club just to effectively punch out so <laughs> it's always an interesting observation and uh, hopefully you're not uh you're not adding a club for the one or two punch outs you might have every round or every <laughs> couple rounds, hopefully. Oh, you probably got a hybrid in your bag. Those are good <laughs> punch out clubs, speaking That's from right. personal experience. <laughs> You've probably seen Chris, uh, you know, longtime golf professional. And uh, I mean, when I, when I got my first set, there was a two iron in there, you know, two iron down to nine and then a wedge. And, uh, and there wasn't multiple wedges in those days. And um, everybody had uh, two and three irons that just pretty much permanently stayed in their bags in those days, at least at my skill level. Oh, for sure. And I, I you know, even, even a one iron, I, yeah. uh, I remember when, you know, when I was playing college golf, everybody had to have a ping one iron whether you could, you could hit it or not. It was a, a pretty easy club to hit for that little off. But you know, what, what's happened, uh, over time is, you know, about 25 years ago, uh, manufacturers started de-lofting clubs so to speak you know in a in an effort to for people to be able to hit the hit the golf ball longer you know basically they they take off two or three or four degrees and uh as that's happened um you know those that two three iron have become much more difficult to hit and now today even like a four iron um you know there's kind of a, a, a two sides to it it it, those we're hitting the golf ball longer as a result, but today and especially over the past four or five years, um, those those longer clubs have become much easier to hit with by uh, by lowering the center of gravity in the golf club, especially with the game improvement clubs and super game improvement clubs that are perimeter weighted. There's so much more weight at the bottom of the club that now those clubs are easier to hit. They de-lofted them and. And they've had to de-loft them because people get them up in the air so much easier. Uh, and as a result, people are hitting the golf ball much longer. I mean, gosh, back, you know, back when I played a lot of golf, you know, my seven iron was a 150, 155 club. Yeah. Um, you know, today it, I, I hit a seven iron and I, I, I've lost distance overall, but I, I hit a seven iron about 160, 165. Yeah. So it's, you know, 10 to 15 yards longer, my club head speed is slower than it used to be. And um, I, I, I think in the champions tour, the guys are, you know, club for club. They're, uh, they're as long or longer as they've ever been. Uh, partially they're in, in better shape, but uh, a lot of it's just the, the club technology has allowed them to do that. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. The uh, old long irons feel so, feel so light. If you still, I still got mine around. They, the three iron and the four iron feel so light to swing. Oh, yeah. That's what I noticed sure. in our fitting. That that heaviness at the bottom of the swing feels really nice, actually. Yeah, no, for sure, and it's uh, just so much easier to hit. Chris, you've got a cool program uh, for the winter, which uh, we don't like to talk about since we got some great golf left. But the Future Champions Winter Program at uh, Chris Foley Golf Schools uh, still a spot or two available there. Yeah, we're you know we're. We're about uh, two thirds of the way full, yeah. uh, but that that program's ga- ge- are geared towards uh, you know high middle school, high school, college golfers, and uh, it's you can really make huge leaps in your game over the winter, especially for these kids who play a lot of tournament golf. 
um, you know, it's hard to make any any changes in the summer. And if 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 a kid's really into the game and and working on their game and has goals of uh, you know achieving odd golf, um, the summer is when you really play, and you, it, that's the tournament season. And uh, really, you're just you're in a maintenance mode more than anything as as far as your golf swing goes. And uh, you're still trying to get better in all aspects of the game, but it's hard to make any swing changes over the summer. You're just trying to maintain, but over the winter, you can make some pretty significant changes without having to worry about score, without having to worry about, you know, playing in a tournament next week or the next day. And the technology that we use really allows you to do some things you can't do over the summer. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a great program. We, We build in practice time so you can, you can practice over the winter as well, you know, on your own as well as the lessons. And we've had uh, we've had a lot of a lot of kids come out of the program and really do good things. We've had uh, uh, we've had seven seven state champions uh, over the last uh, ten or twelve years come out of that program. So it's it's a lot of fun for us to do, and it's uh, the kids get a lot out of it. And it's really a little bit everything in there. You get the individual lessons. I'm just looking at some of the lists of things. The video recap, then you're really studying your game. But also uh, uh, the mental the mental game workshop profile and the rules of golf, that kind of thing, really kind of keeps your mind active about golf all through the winter when you're, when you're working on the mental part of the game. It's one thing to just work on your golf swing, which is, which is fine, but we really... You know, we tr- in all our programs, we really try to develop the whole golfer, and um, you know, it's not just about golf swing. You gotta ha- you gotta have all the skills, whether it's it's course management or managing your mental game and, and your emotions, and and planning for playing and um, nutrition and and all, all the things that go into uh, to becoming a you know a successful tournament player. Yeah, yeah, we had a, a guy back in when I was in uh, playing through high school and trying to make the team from time to time. You know, we had a guy that a couple of years older that hit like a thousand balls a day. It was unbelievable, but uh, he could come apart. You know, he because that's all he did was hit balls. So he could yeah. he could kind of come apart once in a while uh, under the pressure of uh, tournament style play. So even though he had all the shots in the bag. Well, we all do, and uh, you know, kind of goes back to what we talk about a lot. He he did a lot of exercising, probably not a lot of practicing. <laughs> right, right. All right, Chris. Uh, next week we'll talk a little uh, Ryder Cup as we wind the season down of on Lakes Woods and Irons, and uh, getting pretty close. Lots of people getting excited to uh, to uh, fly the red, white, and blue around, and you've got some people that you're going to go see before too long that will not be flying the red, white, and blue when the Ryder <laughs> Cup happens. <laughs> that's, that's correct. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Mac. That's Chris Foley. I'm Colin McDonald. You've been listening to Lakes Woods and Irons on 1380 KLIZ.